I never imagined to see that Christian Nodal was generating more views than Taylor Swift. But then you go and see the numbers and see a Mexican artist that is singing popular music that you know is huge in your country. And you see that the size of his career may be comparable to hers. It's mind-boggling to me. And I think it's going to be also a source of pride, not only for Mexicans, but for all the Mexican-American kids in the United States. Hey guys, welcome to How Music Charts, where we pull back the curtain on today's music business, exploring music industry trends, music data, and the creativity that helps your favorite artists hit the charts. I'm your co-host, Jason, and you'll hear from our other co-host, Rucker, very soon, as well as our new intern, Anissa. This podcast is owned and operated by Chartmetric, a music data company that connects numbers to narratives to help the music industry leverage the power of data analytics. On this episode, we talk to A&R professional and expert in the Latin American music scene, Francisco Toscano. Francisco just released both an English and Spanish version of an article on the Chartmetric blog entitled The Rise of Regional Latin Music Part 1, Mexican Music Genres, or El Ascenso Mundial de la Música Latinoamericana Parte 1, Música Regional Mexicana. It is a white paper on five of the most popular Mexican genres being streamed today on YouTube, Spotify, Deezer, Pandora, and all of your favorite DSPs. Francisco is an A&R researcher for a major label based in and from the great city of Ciudad de Mexico and has a background in financial services. He holds an MBA from Isabe in Barcelona and a master's in music business from New York University. So without further ado, please welcome to the How Music Charts podcast, Francisco Toscano. So Francisco. Hi, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Roger, and to Anissa and all the Chermetrics team for having me here. So let's get into it. The article that we uh, just published today, at least at the time of recording. Uh, Francisco, can you uh, set the music scene for us, if you will? Kind of what should we know about Latin music and what kind of growth have we been seeing in, in recent years? Well, the Latin music, because of the size of the market, the Latin America diaspora that is living mainly in the United States, but not only in, in that market, I think it's a really powerful force, a very cultural relevant force, especially for the United States. And of course, it that translates into economic impact and on the size of the music industry overall. There have been several stages in which we, we have seen what um, many uh, pundits in the music industry have called the Latin explosion, the first one was probably with Ricky Martin and like around the mid 90s, the beginning and the mid 90s. But right now we're seeing another surge in the consumption of Latin music. But this time around, well, it was led probably by reggaeton because probably you, you've heard about Despacito, which is a world, worldwide hit in which Justin Bieber made a collaboration because it was already so huge that he wanted to be a part of it. And it blew it in, in the rest of the markets that are not Spanish speaking, but uh, it's not the only genre. And that's one of the things that we speak about in the, in the article. Uh, reggaeton may have been the tip of the iceberg of the whole music consumption that comes from Latin America, in, in this specific case from Mexico. When, when you read the article, you, you will be able to see the amount of streams, the amount of views that regional Mexican artists are generating, both in Mexico, in the United States market for, in, uh, for its Latin audience and in, in Latin America as a whole, because Mexico has been a cultural force for many years because of its size and because it's media companies that have produced movies, 
uh, telenovelas and um, all sorts of content that, that is consumed in Latin American and Spanish. Most of that content comes from Mexico. So that, of course, has a, an impact, a positive impact on music consumption, not only in the United States, but everywhere. I've always thought of Latin America as such a unique part of the world because you're talking about so many countries that has, I mean, say for Brazil in Latin America, the same language as like their primary language. And so there's an international scene and yet it's unified by this one language. I'm thinking maybe only in the Middle East and Arabic do you see kind of a similar kind of dynamic. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what makes it so powerful. And, um, and, and it makes it so rich as well. Because as you will see, we're in this article, we're only exploring a, a couple of genres, but every country has its own flavor and its, its own culture. However, Language, it's a unifying force that um, amplifies the horizons of any artist that wants to have a, or build a music career in Spanish. Because once a track or a song is able to cross over those um, regional or, and geographical boundaries, there's a whole world out there for, for an artist to build a career. And as, as, as the numbers show, making it in, in the Latin music industry can be as big as making it as a pop star, like any regular pop star because of that. So now from an audience perspective, because I know we're talking about the business, um, how have streaming applications, smartphones, you know, mobile plans have affected access to Latin music? Actually, a great deal. And I think the surge that we're seeing in the consumptions of the different regional genres that are coming from Mexico and other parts of Latin America have been enabled by streaming companies in a great in a, in a great way because before the people, the Latin diaspora that were living in the United States, for instance, um, could only consume the music that they would see on, the, on mainstream media in the United States, like in, in, in TV chains such as Univision or Telemundo, or probably in their radio, radio station chains. One part of um, what we're seeing now, I think, the career that a music star, a Latin music star can build, it's huge and it's versatile. And it also can cross over to, to the American mainstream public, which is, I think it's huge. Um, the younger generations are proud of being who they are. They're proud of their origins. They're proud of their heritage. And they're incorporating that into, in, into, the, into what they're presently living and bringing it to the future and generating new trends and new things. We'll talk about Colombia a little more in part two, obviously, but let's dig in a little deeper into the into the Mexican genres. Mexico is uh, it's over 2 million square kilometers in area and we're 130 million people. We are by far the biggest Spanish speaking market not only for music but for any content that in Spanish. And it has been that for a long time. So one of the reasons why um, regional Mexican music has been able to cross boundaries is because the size of Mexico, Mexico has been a a powerhouse in movie production, in radio broadcasting since um, the early 20th century. And that has enabled that music to reach uh, countries and markets that wouldn't have reached other parts of the world. And you can see that in current markets, in uh, that influence that Mexico had in the past. You can see it in, in the music that is coming out from other markets in Latin America. And a good example is Colombia, for instance. Colombia, in spite of being a smaller country, both in population and, and in size, um, it's a country that um, has seen since like probably in the last two decades, decades, a big surge in creativity 
and it's punching above, above its weight, both in TV production and um, movie production, and of course, music production. Uh, I don't know how many of you are aware that reggaeton, it's a genre that was born in Puerto Rico, but it was the Colombians who made it um, mainstream and to become a worldwide phenomena. And that's the reason probably why many of the biggest Latin artists that we have today come from that country. So in Colombia has been a place where most of the creatives that went to do music in the mainstream music genres that you listen on the radio or see on YouTube, etc. Most of the music producers and artists that you're seeing today come from that country because it has seen an incredible development and influence and influ uh, growth in, in influencing in, in the whole region and even in the United States as well. So obviously Mexico has a long tradition of genres and just great music period, but not everyone has been able to hear that because of the way the market was before streaming. So really only in the past decade has it been so accessible. Can you explain the five genres that you decided to focus on um, and maybe the differences between them and why you chose these five genres in particular? Yeah, of course, um, the, uh, there are many genres, of course, in, in a country that is so culturally diverse. So it's important to, to keep that in mind. However, there are genres that because of its, they, their nature and its impact outside of the, of, of the confines of the Mexican territory that are important. The first one is mariachi, uh, which is also known as uh, musica ranchera or ranchero, which is possibly the, mus the original Mexican genre that is the best known around the world. And it's the symbol of Mexico everywhere. Everywhere in the world that you go, and you mentioned Mexico, and you talk about Mexican music, everybody's going to think about mariachi, about uh, a mariachi sombrero, and about drinking tequila, for instance, because it tends to be a common narrative used in the, in the lyrics of, of that genre. So that's possibly the most important one and the most traditional one. Also, banda. Banda Sinaloense is a genre that was born in the northern part of the country. And... Uh, for geographical reasons, it has had a big impact on the on the United States market. Even though that, that music genre is from the northern part of the country and not the majority of the immigrants that go to the United States come from, from the northern part of Mexico, that genre has become very important in the United States market and because of that in Mexico as well. Norteño, which is a mother genre that encompasses many smaller, smaller genres, uh, it's also very important because, for instance, banda, it's, it was in the past one subgenre of Norteño, but it has become so big that it's now a genre on its own. Same happens with corridos. Corridos is probably the mother of them all because corridos, it's not only commercially relevant, but culturally very important because, as we explained on the article, this genre um, was used not to talk about love or heartbreak, but to talk about the lives and important people that were relevant to the people of certain communities. And uh, to also document the lives of war heroes, for instance, the War of Independence uh, from Spain in 1810 and the Mexican Revolution in 1910, uh, which is uh, the equivalent of the United States Civil War. So Corrido, it's a very specific genre that is very important because of that. And Grupero, because Grupero is possibly the newest of them all and the most modern iteration of, of them all because it's, it mixes mariachi with pop music, with a little bit of rock, and uh, it, use, it has a heavy use of synthesizers. And during the late 80s and the whole 90s decade, 
those acts were huge. And as you can see in, in, in the articles that we published, uh, consumption of that music of the artists that, that were important back then remains pretty, pretty high, not only in Mexico, but abroad as well. So we thought that commercially and culturally, those five genres were the, the most important to talk about. But of course, there's a whole list of genres that we could have included. And we'll see if in the future we need to do that. Could you go through maybe a couple of interesting examples of a legendary artist and then an emerging artist in any or all of these genres and maybe how they compare to an international artist that's, you know, huge on the on the global scene? Yeah, of course. Uh, probably I'll start with mariachi because it's what's probably most people are going to understand and remember. The biggest star of mariachi that is alive because there are huge stars from from uh, years gone by already. But today, the living legend of the genre is Vicente Fernandez. He's 80 years old. He retired from touring and from stage in 2016, but he's been releasing music regardless until today. And uh, just to give you an idea, in Pandora, he has generated 3.1 billion streams, uh, which is huge. It's important to put that in context because that amount of streams and listeners are comparable to those that have been generated by the Chainsmokers, for instance. The Chainsmokers listeners are the same than Vicente Fernandez. Lil Pump has a similar number of views that, than those generated by the Vicente Fernandez YouTube channel. So that gives you an idea on how a mainstream young artist today that has a global exposure compares to, to the numbers that Vicente Fernandez has been able to generate. However, if, if we want to go to Ranchero, more specifically to a genre that is now called mariacheño, which is an evolution of mariachi that mixes norteño instruments with mariachi and a little bit of pop, Latin pop ballad, uh, we, can, we, we need to talk about Cristian Nodal. He is the poster child of mariacheño today, and he has been hugely successful in his career. Uh, he, he launched his first single in 2017 called Adios Amor. And uh, he, he has released three records ever since. And uh, just to give you an idea of the power that this artist has, if you see the numbers of his YouTube channel, there was a point during this year in which his YouTube channel was generating more monthly views than Taylor Swift, which is arguably the biggest pop star and country star that the world has seen in the past years. And he was above her channel uh, during a couple of months during this year. And they're going head to head. And uh, Taylor Swift, I don't need to say it, she had an incredible year during this pandemic because in spite of not being able to tour, she released two records who have been both commercially successful and uh, critically acclaimed. So Christian Odile, it's on par with her, for instance. So uh, th that just gives you an idea of how important mariachi music is, not only for Mexicans, but abroad as well. If we want to talk about banda, uh, we need to speak about Banda MS. They are a banda Sinaloense uh, group, group that was formed in 2003 in Sinaloa. One statistic that is going to blow your mind is that their YouTube channel, because as you can see, uh, this type of genre is very important on YouTube, even though they have all impressive, impressive numbers on Spotify as well. But Cardi B, who had a huge hit with WAP this year, with uh, along Megan Thee Stallion, their YouTube channel is generating the same amount of monthly views than Cardi B's, and very close to that of Bruno Mars, who's also a huge star. So 
that tells you that you cannot disregard this 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 genre and how important it is for Mexicans and Americans in and Mexican Americans in the United States. Also, Los Tigres del Norte. Los Tigres del Norte, they are a legend already in corrido. They've done music in all of the norteño genres, and some people locate them as part of the norteño sax genre because they use the sax in many of their songs. However, their biggest hits are properly corridos. For those of you who, who are familiar with their work, some of their hits are El Jefe de Jefes, La Puerta Negra, which is their biggest hit. It's a classic already of the genre. But in spite of being around for 52 years already and working tirelessly and without interruptions, they're generating the same amount of interest in, in, on YouTube than Demi Lovato and John Legend, which are stars who have been active much more recently. You would probably think that pop stars would probably rake up bigger numbers as compared to regional Mexican artists. But what we found out by doing this, this study is that these artists can build careers as big and as interesting and as long, long running as any artist from the pop world or from the R&B world or from the rap world. So that's, uh, that's something that I think it's very impressive. And uh, it is important for the music industry in the United States to not lose sight of, of the Mexican-American demographic and population and their consumption of music. We need to speak about Los Bukis, which is a grupero group. This group has been extinct since 1995, which is 25 years ago. But in spite of that, they're still generating the same, they have generated the same number of streams than pop star Halsey, you know? And uh, the, which we find, I think it's impressive and mind-boggling, especially for an artist that, that has been gone even before digital music was a thing. So people just crave their music. They just want to listen to it. They go and look for the music wherever they can find it. And I think it's also important to talk about where the regional Mexican genres may be going in the future. One phenomena that it's really relevant uh, that we need to keep sight of is trap corrido. Corrido, trap corrido, it's a mix mainly done by the sons of Mexican immigrants, mainly in, not, on, not exclusively, but mainly in Texas and, the, and Southern California. And they mix um, Anglo trap with corrido. And they have created this concept of trap corrido, which is corridos, but with flow, you know, using the same kind of uh, themes that corrido uses. They, they sing in Spanish, which is also important. And the movement has been so successful that a couple of stars have already been birthed by this new fusion of genres. One of them is Nathanael Cano. His biggest hit, but not is not his only one, is Amor Tumbado, which has raked millions of streams and millions of views. And Bad Bunny made made a collaboration with him, actually. So we can see a crossover of uh, the biggest Latin music star that we have today, which is Bad Bunny. And some people would say the biggest music star in the world because of the impressive numbers he has been able to generate uh, this year, uh, working with a Trap Corrido star. Uh, so they are not to be disregarded and we must not lose, lose sight of this, of this artist. Other artists that are in the same, in the same current are Esteban Gabriel and Junior H, uh, which are also making their mark in, in this new hybrid genre, if, if so to speak. Speaking of the future, 
Where do you see Mexican regional music going in terms of, do you think it's going to continue to grow and become more prominent on the international or mainstream stage? Do you see more collaborations? I do, because I, th I think we are just seeing this explosion. We have just seen the beginning. One thing that we must take on account is, of course, that we've seen these huge numbers of streams coming out of the US and coming out of Mexico, but they're also coming out of Colombia. And we see, we're going to speak more, more in detail about uh, Musica Popular uh, Colombiana when we speak about Colombia in, in, in an, our next uh, installment. But as you can see, Musica Popular Colombiana has mariachi and norteño elements in it. And even those artists are trying to break into the Mexican market. And uh, you have seen in Spotify viral during 2020, uh, things that you've never thought. I've seen Trap Corrido tracks trending on top 50 Spotify viral in the USA, along uh, tracks of Anglo artists. And the United States being an Anglo-centric market, you wouldn't expect this kind of tracks sung in Spanish to, to come to the surface and be so visible. So I think this, this genre is, is yet to evolve. Um, some major labels are already investing in, in, in recruiting this type of talent and propelling it to the limelight. Even Republic Records took a stab at working with Nathaniel Cano and, and they launched an album along with his record label early in around April or May, if, I be, if I'm correct. So you see Anglo labels not only the, the Latin devoted uh, major labels that have traditionally worked, worked it out like Sony Music Latin or Warner Music Latin, but you, you are seeing now um, labels such as Republic Records, which is centered on Anglo, uh, uh, Anglo repertoire, trying to work with this artist. So I think we have, a yet, a, we have yet a lot to see. Uh, we don't necessarily know how, how or where is it going to go, because culture is a little bit like that, a little bit unpredictable. Uh, but that's what makes it fascinating. But I'm sure that we're going to, to see a lot of that in 2021. So Francisco, I just wanted to ask, you know, with these collaborations, do you find that the collaborations that more lean towards like Anglo instrumentation or English language, how do those kind of fare against the ones, the collaborations that lean more towards like the Mexican sounds and, and genres in Spanish? For example... Uh, Snoop Dogg and Banda MS, they did uh, a song uh, last year together. I, I just looked on YouTube. It has 65 million views. That's very impressive. So like that, and that the sound of that is very much skews towards uh, Banda MS. While, um, you know, compare that with, you know, Becky G, a Mexican-American artist, pop star. You know, she's done collaborations with Kane Brown that kind of lean more kind of country, even though they did kind of like two versions of that particular song called Lost in the Middle of Nowhere. That's, that was in March in 2019. She also did another collaboration with uh, J-Hope from BTS. Uh, that was also 2019 Chicken Noodle Soup. More leaning towards uh, K-pop, at least in my opinion. So how do you feel like those collaborations kind of, do you feel like one side does better than the other? No, I think it's experimentation, what's, what we're seeing now. And I think we're going to see more collaborations of Anglo artists working with um, regional Mexican artists, like the one we see with Snoop Dogg and, and Banda MS, and as well as, as, as seeing regional Mexican artists trying to, to get into the pop world, because that's what we've seen so far. And we don't necessarily know which is, which is going to be more successful. If you ask me creatively what I, what I think I like, I would like to see 
both sides of the equation in collaborations to show in the sound of a song. And because it's what really makes it richer and what really creates movements. Uh, Tracorido, it's a very good, it's a very good example because it's not corrido, but it's not trap. It's a mix of both. And it's um it's a hybrid genre that represents the reality of the Mexican Americans um, the, that were born in a society that didn't necessarily showcase their music prominently in mass media, but they heard it in their parents' home. They went to the different music streaming platforms and they took their reality, they took their heritage and they fused it. And I think that's when we see really interesting cultural moments to be born. Part of the music industry is, to exp is, is, as I said, experimentation. And as long as it's exciting, as long as it's fresh, I'm up for anything, to be honest. Anissa, did you have any questions that maybe you wanted to ask Francisco? Um, yeah, I have one. I was really surprised um, to see the comparisons between people like Taylor Swift and Demi Lovato to these Latin American musicians, which frankly, I, I hadn't heard of before. And it really made me realize how siloed I am to American music specifically. I'm wondering if you anticipate when people read this article that they would be surprised like I was. I think so, because we were surprised when we were writing it. I, I, I can tell you that. Um, the size of the career that a music star, a Latin music star can build, it's huge and it's versatile. And it also can cross over to, to, to the American mainstream public, which is, I think it's huge. One part of what we're seeing now, I think, is that the younger generations are proud of being who they are. They're proud of their origins. They're proud of their heritage. And they're incorporating that into, into what they're presently living and bringing it to the future and generating new trends and new things. And one of the things that we wanted to accomplish when we were writing this piece is to provide context. It is very easy to get siloed and think that everything that you see and then you read about in your home country or with the people that you read or with the people that you follow on social media, it's everything. Um, but there's a whole world out there that we don't really know. And providing context and speaking about global brands and global names, su such as Cardi B, such as Justin Timberlake, who we, we also mentioned in, in this article, such as BTS, because for instance, Marca MP, which is an emergent uh, corrido group, has generated the same amount of streams in Pandora than, than BTS, who, who is a global sensation. You know, so it's important to, to provide context so people see the richness, the cultural richness, and also the business opportunities that the different regional genres are going to bring now that people are proud to be who they are and proud to be different, I think. Did you say that you were surprised? Is that you started off your answer saying you were surprised? I was. I mean, I never imagined, to be honest, to see that Christian Nodal at the third, like during three or four months was generating more views than Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is the definition of a star in the music industry since 2015, I guess. And she's been so successful in crossing over between genres and doing the kind of music that she likes. She's not bound creatively by anything. And everything that she has done has been successful commercially. 
And then you go in and see a Mexican artist that is singing popular music that you know is huge in your country. But then you go and see the numbers and you see that the size of his career may be comparable to hers. It's mind boggling to me. And I think it's going to be also a source of pride uh, for not only for Mexicans, but for all the Mexican-American kids in the United States and see the kind of stars that we can build when we do what we like and do the music that, that we like, honestly. Awesome. I can think of a better way to end this. Check it out. It's on our blog, blog.jartmetric.com. It's called The Rise of Regional Latin Music. Parte Uno, Mexican Music Genres is written by Francisco Toscano. Uh, Francisco, uh, thanks so much for chatting with us today. One, uh, is there any way for people to contact you in case they want to get in touch about the any of the things that we talk about in the article? Uh, yeah, of course. And first of all, thank you to you guys for inviting me to be part of this effort. It was very, very interesting. I'm hoping that this article helps the people out there who don't know what regional Mexican music is to be curious and go listen to these artists that we're talking about there. Also to get an idea on how important this market is for not only Mexicans, but for the music industry ecosystem as a whole. You can find me on LinkedIn, of course, uh, on Twitter. You can find me as FCO Toscano or, or on Facebook, Francisco Toscano Music. That's my, my official page. And I'll be happy to connect there and chat about more about this if you if you will. Awesome. Well, uh, hasta la próxima. And then we'll uh, talk about Colombia very soon. Awesome. Hasta la próxima. Muchas gracias a todos. Un abrazo. How Music Charts is written and produced by Jason Hoven and Rucker Rosenborg. This episode was mixed and edited by Anissa Vitsa. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Follow our thoughts on our LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Chartmetric. That's Chartmetric, no S. That's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.